G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. What we want to talk about today, the idea of faith and finance when the headwinds blow. Now, we don't all read the financial papers, but if we did, uh, you'll know that there is somewhat of a cautionary stance that's being taken by some commentators in response to global developments that are going on, politicians talk about global headwinds, meaning that some of the economic circumstances internationally may have effects on our Australian economy. Now, a slowing economy breeds fears of the R word. Uh, what is the R word? Of course, the R word is recession. Nobody in the government likes to use the R word. That's why they call it the R word, because they know what you're saying when you do say that, but they want to steer clear of it because it has a contagious effect on business and on people like you and I and our financial confidence. Some commentators have been suggesting that there has even been a retail R word, recession, biting at business ahead of what official figures might soon begin to show. So how do we face financial headwinds from a position of biblical Christian faith and our understanding of being a steward of our finances? Well, Alex Cook is the founder and head coach at Wealth With Purpose. Alex sold his financial planning business some time back to pursue his passion of helping people like you and I to take control of our finances and our future. And he works with church leaders to understand a biblical approach to finances. He has a website. It's called wealthwithpurpose.com. And Alex Cook is joining us for this coming hour. Alex, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Always good to uh, talk with you. Thanks for having me. Alex, your ministry is called Wealth With Purpose, and that means when times are good and when times are not so good. So anytime we can talk Christian foundations, uh, biblical foundations to wealth, but, but it becomes all the more important to us to appreciate these things if we think that we are facing some tough times ahead. So it's wealth with purpose even in hard times. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, the Bible sort of gives us this impression that really as, uh, as Christians, we have to acknowledge that everything that we have uh, comes from God. So all our resources, our financial resources and other resources uh, are a gift from God. And we are called to, as you use the word stewardship, we're called to steward those resources really for, for his glory. Now, obviously, the economic times uh, may require a change in approach, but certainly um, philosophically, they, they, they remain the same, as in we should be always looking to look after what God has given us, uh, irrespective of where we are. In, in the economic cycle. Um, you know, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. So 
the idea, um, I think, for Christians is that we, we acknowledge that everything we have really belongs to God and that he's given us the privilege of uh, stewarding it on, on his behalf and for his glory. And so we need to learn to do that both in good times and obviously in, in tough times as well. No doubt the majority of our conversation today, Alex, will focus around our individual finances or family finances or our small business finances. But this is the interesting thing when we talk about a biblical approach to stewardship is that we can talk on these individual levels or on our family level or on our business level or on our local church level. Uh, but we can take this into the stewardship of finances in our cities, in our state, in our nation. It, uh, these sorts of principles that we talk about, biblical principles here, they have applications at lots of levels, and there's all sorts of applications that might get quite complicated if we were talking about managing the finances of a nation. But there's all of these dimensions that are important when we talk about a biblical stewardship. Oh, absolutely. And I think you've hit the nail on the head, whether it's at an individual household level or whether it's at the government level uh, or or a business level, um, those principles really, really apply. I mean, probably, you know, a simple one is just the way we manage uh, the flow of money. uh, And often, you know, we call it our cash flow. So how much money comes into our house versus how much goes out. And ideally, we're in surplus more is coming in than going out, i.e. we're not racking up debt on the credit cards and so forth. Um, But equally, you can apply that to the government, and the government should make sure that they've got more revenue coming in than what they're spending, because if they're not, then they're racking up debt, which uh, unfortunately, just at the Australian government level, of course, is what's been happening over the last 10 years. Uh, We've been racking up, I think it's a staggering figure now, it's close to... $600 $600 billion. <laughs> it's, wow. it, The figures are quite staggering. And obviously, globally, I think America runs a deficit each year of close to $800 billion per annum. Uh, so, I mean, the numbers can be quite enormous. But the, the principle really is the same. And that, that principle, which we've all heard before, is simply, you, you know, you have to ultimately live within your means. You can't live beyond your means for long periods of time without there being a, a consequence. And that's something, um, you know, that I think Western culture has now been doing for quite some time, where we've been running these big deficits uh, and not saving very much. So we've been spending, but not really saving. In fact, the savings rate in Australia is uh, a miserly 1%. So we're not great uh, in day-to-day management of our money. And that's something I think as Christians, if we say, well, hang on a minute, our money's God's, well, actually, we do need to have a, you know, a mature response to how we treat what God has given us. You know, I think it's a, an issue of accountability. Uh, I think it's an issue of, of being obedient with what God has given us and, and just doing the right thing so we can advance his kingdom. I also believe God desires that we live with financial health, you know, that money shouldn't be a cause of great stress to us. If we do it the right way, if we manage money God's way, money shouldn't be a source of distress in our life. It should be um, a source of opportunity to do good. My belief is money is for doing good. Um, Yeah, and so that's the challenge for Christians, learning how to do it well. 
And it could be a part of our conversation as things continue to unfold as it comes down to our Christian, biblically founded attitudes to money about how we see that money as an opportunity for doing good, of seeing that money as something that it can be used and uh, look that we might not be uh, afraid of of what happens when it comes to uh, finances let's talk about the r word here because uh, there is a significant increase uh, globally in people using the r word talking about recession uh, it's in the economic headlines and uh, there are those commentators undoubtedly who'll be quite uh, pessimistic and, uh, you know, with the idea of its in- inevitability that we'd be heading globally towards uh, some levels of recession. And then there'll be others who'll be perhaps even on alternative days reported in the papers who might be optimistic about the fact that we might avoid these. So uh, let's get some common sense in here. What are your thoughts when we use this word recession and uh, we see these things in the economic headlines? Uh, what are your thoughts here, Alex? Yeah, well, I thought it might be helpful to start with a bit of a definition. So uh, how do we define a recession? So uh, the, the generally commonly held view amongst economists is that a recession is where you have two quarters or more of negative economic growth. So that's, that's the, the definition that, that people apply. And um, that's, uh, you know, that's the, the thing that people need to uh, understand is what an economist is saying when they talk about that. Um, now, should, should we be concerned about it? I don't think we should ever be concerned about it in the sense recession is a normal part of an economic cycle. So you think of it as a, a clock, at different times on the clock, the economy is at different phases. So sometimes it's in that growth booming phase, then it gets to a point where excess is built up and then you go into a downturn and things slow down and then typically governments come in and spend a bit of money to try and prop it up or lower interest rates. Um, I think what's interesting at the moment, particularly if you look at Australia, so Australia uh, hasn't had a recession for 28 years. So in one sense, uh, there's, I guess, a certain inevitability about it. I think the million-dollar question is really more when. And, of course, what do we do in order to steward finances as well through that? The question of timing is when is it going to occur? Well, I don't like to have an answer for that one because I don't believe uh, anyone ultimately really knows. And, of course, what we don't know is what the government response is going to be. You can certainly see that the Reserve Bank of Australia is doing everything that it can to try and prevent that. You know, they've lowered interest rates twice in the last uh, couple of months. So you can see this, well, that's what they're trying to do on a global basis. So there's a lot of talk globally that this is happening. And the, the argument is to say that particularly America, which has been going extremely well, by the way, their economy has actually been much stronger than ours, um, is that it's slowing down and that it's potentially going into recession, partly triggered by what they're referring to a lot in the media as the, the trade war. So the trade war between America and China, where Donald Trump is uh, putting... Um, tariffs on Chinese goods going to the US. For, for understandable reasons, I don't think it's a, a good economic policy, but certainly you can understand his reasons for doing so. Um, and you know, he has concerns about how the impact China's had on America over the last 30 years, and so he's trying to take action to rectify that. But that's causing a global slowdown. So most parts of the, uh, of the developed world are starting to slow down fairly quickly, including China itself. So China's not immune from it as well. And then from an Australian perspective, well, China has a huge impact on Australia 
because 30% of our exports now go to China. So we are very, very dependent on it. So there's a few, if you like, clouds on the horizon, things that people um, uh, see as uh, things that might cause it. Obviously, you've got the Brexit issue in, in, the, United, in the United Kingdom, and uh, people are concerned that that will cause instability. And the, the one that's really been triggered everyone, a bit of panic, if you like, in the last few weeks, is what they call the yield curve, and that the yield curve has inverted. Now, just to explain that to, to listeners, what does that actually mean? Well, if you think about, you know, you've got a bank deposit, and on that bank deposit, you earn interest. That's what we call the yield, and it's expressed as a percentage. You know, you might be getting 2 or 3% interest. So with a government bond, you get what we call a yield. So let's, once again, let's say that figure is 3%. Um, and then a yield curve is a curve, uh, think of it as a graph that shows you the different bonds, so whether it's a two-year bond, a five-year bond, a 10-year bond, or a 30-year bond. And on that curve, you'll see those different yields based on the different maturities of those bonds. Um, anyway, what happens occasionally is the yield curve inverted. And what does that mean? That means simply that the bonds that are long-term, like 30-year bonds, you would expect them to give you a higher interest rate than the short-term ones, because of the longer time frame, therefore the longer risk. But what occasionally happens is they invert, so they actually become lower interest rates than the short-term ones. And when that has happened in the past, it has predicted a recession. And that's one of the things that's been talked a lot about in the financial press in the last few weeks, and that is what is causing people to be potentially concerned that we'll go into a recession. Uh, in one sense, as I say, I think there's just the normal business cycle. So you should expect a recession at some point because that's just normal. Um, should it be something you're fearful of? No, it shouldn't be. It's just something we should prepare for uh, with our day-to-day finances as though it's something that will happen from time to time. Uh, you know, I think the governments have painted them as sort of an evil that need to be stopped at all costs. I take them as an opportunity to clear out a lot of the excesses in the system such as the excessive debts that we now have in many countries, including Australia. So Australia is now the second most indebted household on earth. So these are some of the, the challenges. I mean, look, we can go into all sorts of detail on some of these issues, um, you know, if you want to explore it further. But certainly Australia is an unusual one in that we haven't had one in 28 years. So you, you'd have to say that we're due for one <laughs> at some stage in the not-too-distant future. Well, people say when the US sneezes, uh, Australia can catch a cold. Uh, there is a sense here, and let me just bring in this issue of fear of the R word, because, of course, next year there's going to be a US election. And there are those who would say on the opposite side of politics, and uh, if you follow any politics in the US, you know that there's a very significant polarization between uh, those who are Republican and those who are uh, on the uh, on the other side, uh, on the left. And uh, there is a certain sense in which uh, Democrats are being accused of of talking up this idea of recession because it's a weapon to be used against Donald Trump. And, of course, uh, these yeah. sorts of things uh, cause the uh, the fear to grow because there's someone stimulating the fear of recession. As you say, uh, the U.S. has a strong economy, but uh, there are some things that are affecting that, and some people talk about Donald Trump and overreach uh, when it comes to the tariffs. But this idea that there are always going to be naysayers, negative ones, and for whatever purpose, uh, this is always going to cause us to have some level of 
fear about economy here. Uh, what are your thoughts about the sort of headlines we might read, Alex, and the, the way we're influenced by these things? Yeah, well, look, well, interesting, you hit the nail on the head. There's a, a huge political component to it uh, when you hear about um, particularly the US and what's been said about Donald Trump. If you, if you think, because uh, the economy has been so strong, the one thing that uh, Donald Trump, if you like, has had a bit of bragging rights about has been about the strength of the economy under his leadership. Because under Barack Obama, whilst it did grow, it grew very slowly. It was very, uh, it was pretty much record low growth for a two-term president. Whereas under Donald Trump, it picked up dramatically. Now, part of the reason for that was because he had these enormous tax cuts, which helped stimulate things. Um, and so, if you like, he, he sort of held himself out as being, you know, an economic good guy. And so the, the Democrats are trying to attack him and say, well, hang on a minute, actually things are slowing down, things aren't looking good, and, and you're the cause of it. So they're trying to undermine his economic uh, credentials, so to speak. I think reality is, from a, uh, just from a, your point of view and my point of view as individuals, that's just all the political talk that goes on. And I think people just need to learn to discern here um, about why things are being said by politicians. You've got to take off and what they say with a grain of salt. What I say to individuals more, though, is to look at the bigger picture and to, to have a look at some of the, the key economic uh, variables, such as you know the level of indebtedness in our society, the fact that we've had very strong growth for a long period of time. If you add those all up, you'd say to yourself, okay, well, things are okay, but you would expect a downturn at some time, so how am I going to manage it? Um, as opposed to worrying about what the politicians are saying. Because, um, you know, I'm very sceptical, for example, of what central banks say. Central banks, part of their role is to maintain economic stability. Therefore, you're never going to hear, you know, a central bank governor come out and say, you know, I think the economy is going to go into recession or I think tough times are ahead. They're never going to say it because they simply want to maintain, you know, a positive economic mood so that that doesn't happen. So I think there's a bit of a, a need for discernment and I think just a basic understanding that these things are cyclical. You know, they go up and down. Economies go through strong patches, they go through weak patches and that's just part and parcel of, of the economy and uh, we shouldn't be placing any um, dependency on what we think government officials are going to do. But what we can do is control what we can control which is controlling what God has put in our hands and uh, using that wisely, irrespective of what the media is, you know, is saying. And I certainly don't think uh, we should buy into any of the fears that the media often peddles. In fact, you know, there shouldn't be any fear around money. I understand that there are, and I understand why people have them, but we shouldn't be fearful at all. So there should be some standard things that we're applying in our own Christian biblical stewardship, which means that we are going to, in some sense, recession-proof our own personal circumstance, our family, perhaps our local church. And even though there may be headwinds blowing, uh, we may be able to seek some sort of solace in uh, the fact that those sorts of principles are in place that prepare us for when times might be tough. Now, I guess the risk Absolutely. there, the risk there, Alex, is that you might uh, become a bit of a hermit or uh, hide yourself away <laughs> and isolate yourself and not actually be a, a faith-filled uh, investor in that sense because you might be governed by fear. But this is part of yeah. it all, isn't it? Understanding 
how we actually have an attitude to our finances not being governed by fear but by faith. Alex Cook is the founder and the head coach at Wealth With Purpose. I want to open our talkback lines. You might like to join our conversation today. What are your perceptions of what's happening economically? What about your own perceptions of how you might treat your own finances, whether with fear or whether with faith? What sort of foundations do you think you might need to have in place? Well, Alex, available for a conversation today. You might have a question. You might have an insight. Love to hear from you. Our talkback line open. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. We're talking faith and finance when headwinds blow. Our special guest is Alex Cook, the founder and head coach at Wealth With Purpose. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Alex, let's take a call. Jason is on the line from Dolby in Queensland. Hi, Jason. Welcome. Hello, Neil. Hey, Jason. What are your thoughts? Just, uh, um, I heard on a program on Sun Life Broadcasting Network with John Rosenberg, going back three years now, that in 2016, the collective world debt of private government corporation business was $164 trillion world debt. And in the same year of 2016, the GDP of the whole earth, all the countries, was only $80 trillion. And is the world getting in more financial debt that it can't get out of? Well, that's a fair question to ask. And Alex, what are your perspectives uh, when you hear this sort of thing talked about, about the size of global debt in those uh, huge trillions? Yeah, look, I mean, the the numbers are staggering. Uh, And the figures you just quoted are actually quite accurate. So a few years ago... I think global debt, when you allow for government debt, household debt and business debt, was around that 160, 170 mark. I think we've now actually exceeded 200. uh, And government debt is the primary source. So government debt is growing at a very, very rapid rate because many governments are running deficits. Um, Then if you look at the the world economy, I think you're right, it's about around the 70 or $80 trillion mark. So the the figures you've given are pretty accurate. I, I do think... I don't like to be a doomster, but I do think we are heading into tough times because we have allowed too much debt to to occur. And and what the the Bible tells us very clearly in Proverbs, it says that debt uh, can lead to slavery. Effectively says, you know, the... you become a servant to the uh, to the lender. The borrower becomes a servant to the lender. And I think that's what concerns me, um, both at a household level, but even when we look at governments and what the what they've racked up over the past you know, couple of decades and certainly in the last 10 years since the global financial crisis. The debts are huge. Um, in fact, if you look at global debt at the moment, one thing that's very interesting is that the, the yields on a number of the government bonds, 25% of the developed world's bonds are now negative. So try and imagine, if you will, you buy a government bond and you get a negative interest rate. Uh, the question, of course, is why would you buy it? Um, why would you buy something that has a negative rate? So there are some very concerning things about the level of debt. 
in fact, if you look at Germany, which is what the fourth biggest economy in the world, it's huge. Um, all its government bonds are now having negative yields, and so I think this is reflective of the fact that we are in a fairly unprecedented time, and I think there will be a, a, an adjustment coming of some sort. It's very difficult, I think, to predict when, and it's very difficult to work out what will it look like. I mean, some people are suggesting there'll be some sort of debt jubilee, like what we saw in Scripture, where the debts get written down, um, or we'll go into, obviously, recessions, because uh, the governments really can't afford to borrow more money. I mean, my concern is that if Australia were to go into a recession, or any country for that matter, is that the governments have already got so much debt, how can they afford to spend more money to try and prop it back up? And so I think we've sort of painted ourselves into a bit of a corner and that there will be a, a, a sort of a, a tough adjustment process coming at some point in the future. Um, difficult to know when, difficult um, to predict how serious that will become. But it is, uh, I think Christians need to be cognizant of the fact that um, there will be some challenging times ahead and we do need to make sure our own house is in order to mitigate, mitigate the effect on our own families, on our own churches, on our businesses, and on, on our loved ones and those near us. We want to teach them biblical wisdom as well. So Jason, it is a serious issue, this level of debt. Yeah. Jason from Dolby, thank you so much for your input today. 1-800-316-316, and you can be part of our conversation. And just before we go into another call, just to pick up on something that you're raising here, uh, this idea that uh, if there are going to be some tougher times ahead, uh, there is a certain sense in which uh, you could uh, retreat and uh, just consolidate but of course that's not good for an economy either i imagine that uh, when you're talking about what you're consolidating and what you might be actually taking as a uh, a faith investment approach uh, that needs to be balanced and i guess that's going to be different for every individual alex yeah no, absolutely i mean to me uh, you know as you say um, this is a, a challenge that we all need to prepare for. So what what should people do, I think, is the real question here, and how do they prepare adequately without going into a position of fear or into a position of retreat? I always take it as a, as a sense of opportunity, not as a sense of something to be scared about. So the, the first rule, I think, of thumb should be that you, you always prepare for a rainy day. This is what any financial planner will tell you, secular or Christian, and that is the idea that you have money in reserve, so you have cash reserve designed so that if you, unfortunately, if you lost your job or if your income, maybe you're self-employed, if your income slumped, you still have plenty of money there uh, to, to ride out that tough period while you're seeking further employment. And the suggestion that any financial planner will tell you is to have an emergency fund, so have money set aside yep. for that, that kind of rainy day. Alex, there's plenty of great comment, comments we're going to be uh, anticipating from you, but uh, just a minute and a half out from news, I'm going to squeeze in another oh, call okay. before we get to news. Let's hear from David in Adelaide. Hello, David. Welcome along. Hello, Neil and Alex. How are you? Very well. David, what are your thoughts quickly? So, uh, given that this could possibly crash, I was wondering what good strategies, whether um, gold or silver... Or housing are good um, methods to go for. What are your thoughts, Alex? Alex. Yeah. Look. Yeah. So look, I have to be obviously slightly careful on radio here, not to be giving uh, 
financial advice. So I'll give some of what I think is general principles because I think uh, no, I don't want to be telling you what to do. I don't, think, I don't know your situation or anything like that. But I think that the first thing to do is, um, is to protect yourself by having a big cash buffer. That's the first thing. So that way um, you can take advantage. Like you use the word crash. Now, stock markets do crash every now and then. That's not an unusual thing where they fall more than 20%. Uh, and so to me, all that is is a fantastic opportunity to buy things at a much lower level than what they are today. It's, it's an opportunity. So you need cash in order to do that. So the first principle or strategy is get yourself cashed up so you can take advantage of that. Whether you buy gold and silver and things like that, to me, they're useful assets to the extent that they are sort of a hedge against political instability. I'm going to have to cut in, Alex, because we're going to news, and uh, I know that we'll want to definitely pick up this thread after the news. You were concerned about property and shares and gold and things like that. I wonder if you can just sort of rephrase the sort of things that you'd like to hear from Alex. Yes, I've heard three viewpoints. Um, when times crash and, you know, with the governments um, lent, uh, borrowing too much. And one is gold and silver is a good opportunity. Another one is um, to get, make sure you've got a house because I'm renting at the moment. And then the other one is to invest in shares while they're, um, while they're, their low prices. So I was wondering, Alex, what you think would be a good strategy? Alex. Yeah, absolutely. So look, um, pr- probably there's probably a few things that need to be addressed here because they will affect everyone in terms of their own personal circumstances. So in terms of whether you buy, what you buy, etc., will be dependent on certain things. So one of it is uh, your time frame. So, for example, if someone comes to me and maybe they're 25 and they say to me, Alex, I want to buy a house in two years' time, then I would advise them against putting their money in shares because with shares you need a longer-term time frame, such as usually most commentators will say you need at least seven years to allow for the fact that they rise and fall in value and they're, they're volatile. And, and a similar principle you would apply to a property market Whereas things like, say, cash in the bank is very, very obviously defensive. So the, the first principle there is your time frame. You need to make sure that you, what you're investing in is driven by your time frame. The other issue is how much risk you're prepared to take. And, and so I call this the sleep at night test. How will you feel knowing where your money is invested? Will you sleep well? Um, and you're comfortable with the level of volatility because shares are much more volatile for example, during the global financial crisis, the Australian stock market fell 55%. So imagine you've got a $100,000 you know, $100, portfolio, it's now worth 45000 after 18 months. So that kind of thing people need to, um, need to ha- have a good grip on before they invest any money. That's the, that's the key thing. Know their time frame, know what, what level of risk that they're willing to take. The next issue then becomes one of timing, and this is where it gets much, much harder because I don't believe anyone can really time the market in the sense that, you know, I can't tell you where the stock market's going to be in 12 months' time or 18 months' time. Um, However, we're talking about recession here, so let's assume that you position yourself defensively, so you've got lots of cash, and then when the recession does hit and stocks likely fall, property likely falls, you're then in a a position to buy, hopefully, a good quality asset for less than what you would have paid for it today. 
that that's the basic logic. The the downside with withholding or holding off too long is things can improve without you know recession doesn't happen and, and you've missed out. So you do have to have a view. I think that timing is is difficult because you um, it's very hard to predict the future. And therefore, we need to take into consideration other factors, such as the level of risk, our time frame, etc., to let those drive our decisions. The other principle to adopt is what we call diversification. So if you look in Ecclesiastes 11, it says, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight, because you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Now, what any financial planner will tell you, when you invest your money, you should diversify it. You shouldn't have all your eggs in one basket. Because when recessions come, you know, some things go broke, you know, some companies go under. So you need to diversify our portfolio. And that's diversifying across the different asset classes, such as shares and cash and bonds and, and real estate. And then we need to diversify within those asset classes. So you don't buy just one share, you buy a couple of shares that so you're diversifying your risk. So there are a couple of the principles that people need to apply. Now, I would say they apply irrespective whether it's a recession or not, um, but they're things that people need to consider before investing any money at all. So hopefully that gives you a few strategies to think about. David from Adelaide, thank you so much for uh, bringing uh, those thoughts and that question for us today. At 1-800-316-316, if you'd like to join in our conversation and uh, into the pointy end of a conversation where we're looking for uh, real practical insights uh, about how we actually approach these issues uh, as a Christian believer and uh, with our wisdom built on some biblical wisdom. So great to be able to reflect on some biblical wisdom there about uh, diversification. And what about this sort of issue of uh, being very defensive uh, because some people are less uh, open to taking risks than others or being very aggressive and as you say, Alex, it depends on uh, individual circumstances, but there is a certain sense, and I'm not sure what we can draw financially as wisdom from things like the parable of the talents, uh, where there was the one had five talents, one had three, and one had one. Uh, one just uh, buried that uh, one talent in the ground and uh, wasn't so well received by the master when he got back and saw that others were more aggressive with investments uh, with the master's finances and uh, there was one who was called a lazy servant uh, for not doing anything so is there anything i'm not sure whether we can use that as a yeah. foundation but uh, but there is a certain sense That's there right. defensive and aggressive uh, we tend to want to always talk about defensiveness but what about this idea of being prepared as you're saying uh, get prepared now because when opportunity comes then you can move yeah, yeah. Um, so another factor that people need to consider in terms of aggressive versus defensive is their age. So that, that affects it. So someone who, for example, is very young, like if you're 25, your superannuation money, as a general rule, should be very aggressive because you can't touch it till you're 65. So you've got 40 years before you can even touch it. Whereas, say, someone, and I've got, because we still have a financial planning arm, we've got clients that are, you know, in their early 60s and then they're about to retire we get them to take a lot less risk because if they were to lose their job or they were to retire, their, their ordinary source of salaried income, of course, disappears and therefore they can't make it back if they were to lose it. That doesn't mean they should be completely conservative in the sense they're still going to take some risk because the biggest risk 
in the long run is actually inflation, and that is that the cost of living rises uh, significantly over time. You know, if someone retires at 65 and up to 85, the cost of living over that 20-year retirement is uh, the cost of living will double. And so you need to grow your wealth in retirement. You can't just be 100% defensive. Um, so that's a thing to take into account. Um, but you raised a really interesting point, though, about the parable of the talents and how some are given five, some are given three or two and then one, one. And that there is an expectation, I believe, that God, when he puts something into our, our hands, uh, whether it's financial or, or otherwise, there is an expectation that we will do something with it. Um, where I think the, the purpose of that parable is to say we're going to be held to account for what we do with what we've been given. Uh, now, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to go and invest money that God has given you. It's about saying, what is God wanting me to do as a steward with the resources that he's placed into my hands? And I think that's ultimately what that parable is about. We need to say, God has given me this. How am I going to get a return on it for his, for his glory? And that could be what I would call, you know, a kingdom return as opposed to an investment return. You know, whether it's sowing into, um, you know, missions or helping the poor or whatever it may be. So that to me is the expectation of that scripture, that we are sowing into things and using whatever God has given us. And for some of us, that's a little. For some of us, that, some of us that's a lot. We have to use those resources wisely uh, to extend his kingdom. Um so I think that's the biblical side of it. As I say, I don't think that ob- obligates us to invest per se, but I do think we need to be wise um, in, as far as investments concerned by taking the level of risk that's appropriate for our circumstances. You know, whether you've got whether you're married, whether you've got kids, what your age is, um, how much cash reserves you've got, um, all these factors come into play in terms of how we should manage our money. But I think, as you rightly said, uh, recession is an opportunity. It's something that we should be thinking about. Uh, how can we take advantage of this um, at this time to um, you know, better manage the resources that God's given us? We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Trevor is on the line from Perth in WA. Hi, Trevor. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Morning. What are your thoughts, Trevor? I've got a question relating to the debt. We hear of all these countries that are in, in debt to trillions of dollars. Who, who is that in debt to? Is that to another country or is there a corporation out there that's a beneficiary of all that? Where, where will that debt, debt been held? Uh, good thoughts, you know, Alex. It's a great question. So I'll break it down by... Um, I'll, I'll give you a few different countries to give you a bit of a snapshot. So if we took the US, so the US has... Uh, something like $20 trillion in federal government debt. Um, a lot of that is owed to um, foreigners. So, for example, the Japanese and the Chinese are the two biggest holders of US debt outside of one, the biggest holder. And the biggest holder is the US Federal Reserve, in other words, their central bank. And that's where I think it gets interesting in the sense that what's happened is the American government they call it printing money, but the, the, the technical term is called quantitative easing, where essentially the central bank creates money out of thin air on a keyboard, and then they buy the debt of the government. So the US federal government says, right, we need to raise $100 billion of, of debt to, to, fund our, you know, to fund the government, and the buyer of that debt is a central bank. So a lot of the debts, because your question is, you know, who owns the debt, is actually owned by central banks around the world. And the same things happen in Europe. 
If you look at, say, countries like Japan and Australia, a lot of that debt is held inside superannuation funds. So in Japan's case, Japan has, because it's got an ageing population like us, they have huge government or huge pension funds. And the biggest holder of Japanese government debt is these pension funds. And it's a similar thing here in Australia, where one of the biggest holders of our debt is, you know, superannuation funds that buy and sell government debt as a form of investment that they hold. So that's who's holding it. Of course, when these debts get so big, the question is, who's going to lose money if these debts get defaulted on? And the answer will be a lot of these pension funds will be very, uh, will be very much affected if governments default on these debts. Okay, thank you so much to Trevor from Perth for your uh, question today. Let's take another call. Jonathan from Perth. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome. Yes. You know, I was saying something that maybe it will look funny to you people. Is uh, we want a blessing from God, but we are not doing the right thing. Look, uh, we want to be like the children of Israel, the nation, which Deuteronomy talk about 28. Any nation that refuse to do the right thing for God, you will get all these things. America talk about A, Hagar talk about A. But our leaders, they fail to do what is right. And they honor God's jurisdiction, but they don't want to do anything for God. This one will always have the financial difficulty forever. Because they don't want to pay taxes to government, but they pay taxes to other people. And God get the property. I don't know. Jonathan, good thoughts there, and uh, not as easy to uh, understand everything that Jonathan was saying, but uh, along the lines of uh, of governments that do the right thing ought to expect uh, some level of uh, blessing on an economy, uh, but if governments don't do the right thing, they ought not to expect that, uh, as, as God is the one who is over all of these things, and there are principles, biblical principles we've been talking about. If they're not adhered to, uh, well, there's an obvious message in all of that. Uh, your thoughts for Jonathan, uh, Alex? Yeah, look, I was, I was trying to understand what, where, where the key silver direction he was going in terms of what he was trying to ascertain. But certainly we need to be praying for righteous government because um, the, the policies of the government will have a profound impact on the prosperity of the nation. So I would argue that our parliaments are really a place of ideological warfare in the sense of uh, is that war... Um, you know, are we putting forward ideologies that will prosper a nation or ones that will um, negatively affect a nation? So if you look at extreme cases like Venezuela and places like that, which are highly socialist uh, and, you know, and there's the communist countries, those countries are typically very, very poor um, and, and people suffer. So I think a um, if you look in nations where just government takes place, those economies are much more free market whereby people are free to trade and with minimal government interference. And those are the nations that typically prosper and will affect uh, the citizens greatly. You know, we need to live in a free society where um, the government has minimal interference other than, you know, maintaining rule of law and so forth. That affects greatly the prosperity of a nation which is why it's so important uh, to pray for our government and righteous, you know, and having uh, leaders uh, that put forward righteous policies. Uh, that's something that uh, I think concerns me greatly in the Western world because I think over the last 50 years since the sexual revolution, we've been drifting farther and further away from God and we've forgotten where our prosperity actually comes from. You know, if you look at Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy 8, verse 18 says, Remember the Lord, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. 
And so as our society has drifted further from God, we've forgotten where that prosperity and where our wealth actually comes from. Uh, and so <clears throat> we need to pray that we have good government that enacts policies that are righteous, that are just, uh, and that will do the right thing by the citizens. That, to me, is a very critical prayer point. Thank you so much to Jonathan from Perth. And let's uh, put a line under the calls because uh, I know there's a number of important points that we might need to talk about in this short time remaining, Alex, as we think about how we prepare uh, with a foundation, as we've been talking about, a biblical Christian foundation for how we deal with finance when there might be financial headwinds blowing. Uh, we did talk about things like having an emergency buffer in place. Uh, we've been talking about things like, you know, whether we're saving, uh, whether we're paying down debt, uh, how aggressive we might be, even preparation for if there is a recession, that there are opportunities that come in that if you are well prepared. So if we're talking about uh, preparing for some headwinds that might be coming, what are your thoughts, Alex, on the individual or the small business owner and uh, the, the person who has uh, skills in one area and, and uh, thinking about how you might even uh, diversify your own skills? What are your, your thoughts for uh, preparation for headwinds blowing uh, that come from a, a biblical foundation? Yeah, okay. Well, starting point, I think, which, we, we, I mean, we've talked about government debt and so forth, but I would say to an individual listening to this is try and focus on getting your debts down if you have them. So, for example, if you have a mortgage, try and make extra repayments against that mortgage so that you're effectively building up a buffer that you can redraw from or you're offsetting your interest. Because you really want to, from a biblical point of view, make sure that you don't run the risk of becoming enslaved to your debts. And so the first initial focus, I think, should be getting your debt down. So that's step one. Step two, we sort of touched on this, is having an emergency fund. So building up cash reserves to make sure that you can ride out the rainy day if you, if you lose your job. And you can put that money, if you have a home loan, put that money into your offset account so that way you're actually offsetting your interest and you can pull that money out at any time. Also, try and build a habit of saving. 90% of financial success is due to the way we behave with money and therefore we need to learn how to become savers. So do a budget and work out how much you can save. We typically teach a simple principle called the 80-10-10 rule. That is, you honour God by giving him the first 10%, then you save 10%, and then you try and live on 80%. So have a simple structure for your finances. Um, then there's other things to do. You know, Once you do your budget, try and get a hold of your cash flow and manage your spending a bit more effectively. At a more practical level, if we're talking about investments, then make sure, you know, if you, if you do believe tough times ahead, then diversify. Take less risk, you know, reduce the level of risk you're taking. At a business level, uh, you know, if someone's got to say a small business, then I'd recommend they evaluate their different income streams. How will those income streams be affected in a recession? Should they be trying to build up other income sources in their business to protect them so they've got more cash flow coming in from other things? So that they're, they're, you know, they're not as negatively affected on their business level. If you're an individual and you're in an industry, and this is say you may be working in a job working for somebody else, where you, you think you, you might be made redundant, then maybe it's an opportunity to try and retrain, give yourself some new skill sets that will position you for the future. I mean, one of the things that's changing dr uh, dramatically at the moment is automation. You know, I've been reading about in the last few days all these automated trucks in the US where they don't even have truck drivers anymore because automation has become that sophisticated. So how can you potentially retrain 
uh, to do other things that if you feel that your job is particularly vulnerable in a recession-type condition. So there's all things that we can do practically with our own personal finances, uh, with our businesses, diversifying our revenue streams, uh, and of course with our individual careers, making sure that we've got alternatives um, to prevent that. But we do this out, out of opportunity, not out of fear. You know, you've got to do these things just to be practical and sensible, but you don't do it because, oh, you know, you think the world's going to cave in kind of thing. I don't think that's the way we should be looking at it at and, all. So you know, practical things there. Uh, that's why uh, we'd want to talk about this today. While there's not a recession and while there might be headlines talking about that, uh, the idea of being prepared. And oftentimes, I think, Alex, when we talk about uh, how we might hear from God, uh, some level of uh, wisdom, inspiration, even revel- uh, revelation, uh, it comes down to uh, exercising wisdom as to how you might navigate a way forward. And uh, those things would be very important. So wonderful insights there. I wonder if uh, just in this last minute or two, we might just focus for a few moments on attitude and fear. Uh, because the idea that we might actually, uh, you know, retreat into a uh, an isolation position uh, might be based on fear, and that might be based on the sort of headlines we might be reading in the newspapers. How do you, and uh, with a biblical foundation here, uh, talk to people about uh, your confidence in finance, confidence before God, and not just being uh, driven by the idea of there could be fearful things ahead? Yeah, look, I think um, look, fear is something that can be very debilitating and means that we're less likely to make good financial decisions if we're operating out of a place of fear. Uh, and of course, God doesn't want us to be fearful because he tells us that he's in control of all things, that he's above our circumstances. You know, there's no recession in heaven. <laughs> God is above yeah. and beyond. So we need to understand God's character in this situation. We also need to be prayerful. So we need to pray for wisdom. The Bible says, how do you get wisdom? Well, you you ask God for wisdom. So ask God to help you make wise financial decisions. Um, And then I think you also, during these times, and I think one of the the big things in our busy society is that many of us don't spend enough time with God on our knees just building that one-to-one relationship. Because it's easy to say trust in God, but sometimes that's tested. And the only way to really pass that test is having that one-on-one intimate relationship with God. Uh, and that will help you beat fear because you'll, you'll know God personally and you know that he can be trusted and he's there, um, uh, he's, got, you know, he's got your back. And so it's building that intimate relationship. So there's some of the spiritual sides. And then on the practical side, I think you've got to take action. You know, you've got to prepare have your emergency fund, do your savings, etc. get your debt down. So you deal with fear in a spiritual level, but also at a practical level. In other words, we've got to do our bit. You know, we can't just leave things to chance. We've actually got to do our bit to prepare adequately. Well, Alex, sure that we're st- just wonderful getting your insights today. We have run out of time, and I know that there'll be listeners who will be interested to hear some more, read some more. There'll be some resources that you'll be able to download when you go onto the Wealth With Purpose website, wealthwithpurpose.com, and you might like to even make a personal contact with Alex Cook, as you'll be able to do, as there'll be a contact point in the website, Wealth With Purpose. Uh, wealthwithpurpose.com. Uh, Alex, great getting your insights once again. Thanks so much for uh, taking some time to share these thoughts with listeners today on 2020. 
Thanks, Neil. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.